we'll get straight to our first speaker, Daniel Matthews, who is a pure mathematician, which I like very much because I don't know many people who are pure anything. <laughs> he is a lecturer at Monash University where he researches such topics as geometric topology, knot theory, scouts honor, and topological quantum field theory. His day job is turning coffee into theorems. He dislikes war, inequality, and listening to student excuses why they didn't hand in their calculus assignments. He likes coffee, bad maths jokes, and science. He fucking loves science. It's written here, wasn't me. <laughs> Daniel. Thanks, everyone. Uh, so I'd like to thank the, uh, the organisers of the laboratory for their also fucking love of science, bringing it to the people, the Spotted Mallard for their uh, fucking love in hosting it, and also uh, acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, pay respect to their elders past and present. Well, I'm here to talk about Bertrand Russell. It is an impossible task, because this is a man who really lived half a dozen lives. He was a mathematician, philosopher, educationalist, social critic, best-selling author. He was a towering figure of the 20th century. But since we're at the Labora story, not the philosopher story or many other O stories, I'm going to focus on Russell, the mathematician. Hopefully my omissions are not completely unforgivable. So Bertrand Russell was born in 1872 into the upper reaches of the British aristocracy. His grandfather was twice Prime Minister of England, but his parents died before he was aged four, and he was brought up by his puritanical grandmother. She would not entrust her grandson's education to a school, and so young Russell was brought up, he was educated, by governesses and tutors. He learned fast, and he fucking loved mathematics. <laughs> but the most crucial component of grandmother's curriculum was religion, and she refused to entrust the teaching of that subject to anyone but herself. Her theology was old school, fire and brimstone. Her indoctrination, however, did not quite have the desired effect. Instead, it pushed an inquiring young mind into a lifelong attitude of scepticism. Teenage Bertrand Russell kept a secret diary. Not about girls, because he didn't know any, but about the nature of the soul, human mortality, and similarly uplifting matters. It was complete heresy to grandma, so he wrote it in Greek. <laughs> Doubting the certainties of religious faith, Russell developed an overwhelming desire to know that which can be known with certainty. And this desire drove him to mathematics. In mathematics, there's a sort of certainty. One plus one really is two. Mathematical statements can be proved. And mathematical proofs are true by sheer force of logic. These days, the only contact most people have with the notion of mathematical proof is in year eight or nine geometry. You may remember being made to explain such things as why two triangles are similar? This was called a proof. The intention 
may have been for you to appreciate the certainty of mathematical proof, but the effect in practice is much more heartwarming. It brings students together with a topic they can all hate in unison. <laughs> Luckily, Russell did not learn his geometry from the Year 9 curriculum. He convinced his brother Frank to explain it to him. And in those days, they learned geometry old school from the ancient Greek text, Euclid's Elements. It's a book full of amazing theorems and ingenious deductions, but Euclid has to begin somewhere. He begins from axioms, basic starting assumptions, which are supposed to be completely obvious, things that no person would question, or no sane person would question. Of course, Russell questioned them. Exasperated, Frank declared that if Bertrand did not accept the axioms, then he couldn't go on. Bertrand was not happy. He would come back to that later with a vengeance. But for now, he relented because geometry made his miserable youth bearable. At the depths of his despair, he contemplated suicide. He wrote, I did not, however, commit suicide because I wished to know more mathematics. That is possibly the only time in the history of the world anybody <laughs> has thought that thought. Well, eventually Russell left for Cambridge in a stellar academic career, but he'd forged a habit of solitary deep thought, developing strong opinions and ideas, always logically watertight, usually brilliant, sometimes eccentric, occasionally insane. As he wrote, thought is subversive and revolutionary, merciless to privilege, established institutions and comfortable habits, anarchic and lawless, indifferent to authority, careless of the well-tried wisdom of the ages. Well, Russell certainly was, and as a naturally gifted writer and general troublemaker, he eventually published his ideas on pretty much everything he thought about, even when his views were controversial or outrageous, especially when his views were controversial or outrageous, because those questions are often the most important, and he was absolutely fearless. For instance, he was to become known as a notorious atheist for his incendiary essay, Why I'm Not a Christian and as an unorthodox socialist for his book, Roads to Freedom, examining the best social system for a good society. Perhaps surprisingly, the vast majority of his writing still stands up pretty well today. Not all, to be sure, but his provocations have often become our common sense, and often, in part at least, because he argued so effectively. Take, for instance, the First World War. When the war came, Russell campaigned against it tirelessly, giving speeches, writing pamphlets, eventually losing his job and going to jail for it. It wasn't to be the only time. But his arguments today seem absolutely tepid. Britain's alliances are unwise and should stay out of it, he said. Today it's common sense, even inadequate. But back then, it was enough to see him suffer criminal prosecution. Except suffer is not quite the right word. When it happened, Russell was elated to face prosecution. Finally, he discharged his moral responsibilities and he could get some maths done. <laughs> but he was a bit disappointed. The magistrate hearing his case was far too reasonable. He was sentenced to only six months jail. Imprisonment, of course, not very pleasant. But Russell had reading and writing privileges, provided he didn't mention the war. This suited him perfectly, as he'd been neglecting topics like mathematics and it gave him an opportunity to mix with his fellow prisoners, who he found were no worse than the rest of the general population, although, he wrote, they were, on the whole, slightly below the usual level of intelligence, as was shown by their having been caught. 
In six months jail, he read 200 books and wrote two. Now, for mathematics, the turn of the 20th century was a period of unbridled optimism. To many mathematicians, like the German David Hilbert, it seemed that soon it would be possible to apply mathematical logic mechanically to answer any mathematical question. Mathematics could become an infinitely powerful machine. Others, like the French mathematician Henri Poincaré, thought something different. They thought human understanding and intuition played the central role in mathematics. Poincaré hated the thought of his beautiful French mathematical culture reduced to Hilbert's German sausage machine. But history appeared to be on Hilbert's side. Logicians like George Bull, he of the Boolean search, Gottlob Frege and Georg Cantor had shown that much of mathematics could be mechanised, reduced to pure logic and sets. Today, mathematicians still love the joy of sets. Russell did too. He dug into the foundations of mathematics and what he found broke those foundations and destroyed it all. What did he do? He discovered a paradox, now known as Russell's paradox. Let me try to explain it. So I invited some friends here tonight. I told them about this great event, said they should come along. Sometime later though, I wasn't sure if they'd booked themselves a table. So I told them, if you haven't booked a table, I'll book one for you. I said, I will book a table for everyone who doesn't book a table themselves. And then I felt very pleased with myself. I usually forget about all this practical stuff and then panic at the last minute. But then I thought, hang on a minute. Should I book myself a table? Well, I was to book a table for everyone who doesn't book a table themselves. So, if I don't book a table for myself, then I should book a table for myself. And if I do book a table for myself, then I shouldn't have. I was stuck in a terminal loop. I do if I don't, and I don't if I do. At this point, thankfully, the laboratory organizers emailed me and resolved my ineptitude by telling me that actually there's a speaker's table. <laughs> but in mathematics, there are no organizers to resolve your ineptitude. Russell's paradox is, in essence, the laboratory table booking paradox. Russell just wrote it in the language of sets. A set in mathematics is just a collection of objects, which could be anything. Numbers, letters, your missing socks. A set can also contain other sets. You could even have the set of all sets. A set could even contain itself. Russell said to consider a particular set. The set of all sets which don't contain themselves. Russell asked, does this set contain itself? I'll leave that question for you to discuss over your next beer you will probably get a headache. Even if your head doesn't explode, set theory does in fact explode with this paradox, and sets being a foundational idea in mathematics, the whole of mathematics fell apart. Mathematicians were devastated by this discovery. Russell's colleague Frege had just finished his book claiming to reduce mathematics to pure logic. Upon hearing the news, he was forced to add one of the most abjectly sad appendices in scientific history, admitting that his magnum opus was actually completely flawed and couldn't work. Speaking of things which are completely flawed and can't work, Russell gained greatest notoriety not for his work on mathematics or philosophy, but marriage. Russell wrote a book, Marriage and Morals, in which he argues for birth control, liberalised divorce laws, 
and gender equality. By the standards of contemporary feminist theory, it's pretty tame. But that's only because it's now common sense. All respectable opinion was outraged. At the time, he was about to teach a class in formal symbolic logic at the City University of New York. A mother of a student, fearing her daughter's indoctrination into perhaps enjoying sex, by taking this class from a, quote, lecherous erotomaniac, sued the university. He was promptly dismissed. If you've ever doubted the allure of formal symbolic logic, bear this in mind. But back to mathematics. Having ruined it for everyone, <laughs> Russell, together with his colleague Alfred North Whitehead, tried to put it back together. Their project was to start over from the very beginning and build up step by step, without paradox, the mathematics that we all know and love. Well, some of us know and love. The result was the 2,000-page, three-volume work, Principia Mathematica. It took them 10 years. And being written mostly in formal logic symbols, it looks like alien hieroglyphics. The scale of the work is awe-inspiring. It might inspire some other things too, like yawning, uh, what the fuck is this Klingon poetry, or admiration at the sheer bloody-minded persistence. The high point comes after 360 pages when they prove a stunning result. One plus one equals two. That's right, it takes them 360 pages to prove one plus one equals two. You can now set your mind at rest. Every academic library in the world has a copy of Principia Mathematica. I don't think anyone has ever read it all the way through. Russell was exhausted after writing the Principia. He'd had enough of mathematics for several reasons. He wrote that in universities, mathematics is taught to men who are going to teach mathematics to men who are going to teach mathematics to... Sometimes there is an escape from this treadmill. Archimedes used mathematics to kill Romans, Galileo to improve the Tuscan artillery, modern physicists to exterminate the human race. It's usually on this account that mathematics is commended as worthy of state support. <laughs> Accordingly, much of his subsequent work was devoted to promoting peace and nuclear disarmament. The Bertrand Russell Peace Foundation still exists today. Its reports are worth reading and still ignored by the mainstream. Russell had one joint publication with Albert Einstein. It was a manifesto on the abolition of nuclear weapons. But it wasn't in an A-star journal, so it would count for nothing today. <laughs> he lived so long, 98 years, that he saw most of his opinions on sex, marriage, war, and mathematics become mainstream. He won a Nobel Prize, but actually not for anything I've been talking about tonight, in literature. Did I mention he also wrote a monumental history of Western philosophy? or arguably actually literally saved the world during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But there's a lot more, and in a talk of this length, alas, I don't have time to share. Merely saving the world must be a footnote for a man of his accomplishments. In the end, he became respectable, but he was never happy about this. Let me finish by saying something about the legacy of Russell and Whitehead's Principia Mathematica. There is actually at least one person who read it cover to cover. Kurt Gödel, upstart logician. Gödel noticed that Russell and Whitehead had actually missed a crucial point. They'd assumed that what is true and what is provable 
are the same thing. But they are not. Gödel showed that there are mathematical statements which are true, but which cannot be formally proved. Basically, he showed that mathematics can never be a sausage machine. It's still, however, too much of a sausage fest, unfortunately. <laughs> Others wondered what could actually be done with the formal procedures and log logic uh, developed by Russell and others. A young man named Alan Turing made machines to do them, now known as computers. They were used to assist war, then to assist business, and finally, to watch cat videos. <laughs> I think Russell would probably have approved of this progression. Thank you.